Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. On the land, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the blunder. For uh, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have been shattered, the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, Ellie. Uh, familiar words. It's, it's almost hard not to sing. Well, I, I find it almost hard not to sing the song as soon as you get to, to verse 6. But I won't do that now. Uh, I won't burden you with that. Uh, if you'd like to follow along as we work our way through these verses, there is a sermon outline. You might have got one at the door. If not, uh, you can grab one and you can take notes, follow along uh, as we work our way through these verses. Uh, I think we'd all agree that it is a good thing to have hope and I think we probably would all agree that it is hard to keep going in life without hope. Uh, if you are playing sport in a team which has no chance of winning, the opposition are uh, far too good, you're going to find it hard not to give up, aren't you? If you are sitting an exam and you know that you cannot possibly pass that subject, regardless of how you go on the exam, you're going to find it pretty hard to even be bothered trying. If I'm fishing and no, I'm not going to catch anything, that will probably be a fishing trip that doesn't last very long. See, hope keeps us going. Uh, hope helps us to put one foot in front of the other and keep going even when things are difficult. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist. Uh, he survived uh, the Nazi concentration camps and he wrote a lot about what he saw there. Uh, and amidst the suffering and hopelessness that he observed, he wrote this. He said, Any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in camp had first to succeed in showing him some future goal. That is, a hope, something to look forwards to. We need hope. And that asks the question then, what hope is keeping you going? What's your hope? Now that's, that's probably a hard question to kind of just answer off the cuff but we can diagnose ourselves, we can diagnose what our hope is. Uh, you could ask yourself, well when something bad happens in my life, I say, well at least... And whatever fits that space, that's your hope. 
Or you might be able to ask yourself, well, what am I most protective of? What do I get most defensive about? It's often the thing that is your hope that you're clinging to. And our hopes can be many different things. In fact, they can be a combination of things. We might hope in our health or in our family history of good health. We might hope in the accumulation of our life's work. We might put our hope in our future retirement. Our hope might be in our family, in the accomplishments of our children. Our hope might be in our career, in advancement, in security at our work. Our hope might simply just be that things won't always be this way forever, (laughs) that things might change. We can have all sorts of hopes. Well, Advent reminds us that Christmas is all about hope. Not a, not a combination of different hopes, not, a, not a, 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 a list of hopes, but a hope that is far bigger than this world, that's not of this world, that's greater than it. A hope that's lasting, a hope that even comes with joy. Not just a, a desperate hope, but a celebratory hope. It's a hope that you and I need because it's a hope that can never be threatened. It's a hope that can never be lost. We don't have to create this hope We simply get to receive it. So how do you have it? What is this hope? Well, that's what Isaiah 9 is all about this morning, about this hope and how we can have it. And so that's why we're going to work our way through these verses today. Before we jump straight into this passage, we have to understand the time that Isaiah was was speaking and prophesying to. The thing we need to understand is that this was a time of very little hope for the people he was talking to, to the nation of Judah where he lived. Uh, It was a time of little hope because the neighbourhood bully, the nation of Assyria, the the superpower of the day, was flexing its muscles and was doing as it pleased and what pleased Assyria was conquest and domination of everyone they knew about. Now by the time uh, we're up to in Isaiah, uh, Judah, uh, Isaiah's nation, was already in an agreement with Assyria. They had a, a truce, they paid them tribute. Give it, we'll give you this money, just leave us alone. <laughs> Don't come knocking on our door. But that was an uneasy arrangement. <laughs> there was no real security there. Assyria had broken truces in the past and at any moment Judah, uh, Judah could wake up to find an entire army camped out on their door ready to conquer them. That had already happened to Israel, Judah's uh, northern neighbour. Assyria had come in, they had conquered them, they'd utterly destroyed the nation, they'd deported those survivors and they'd brought in people from all sorts of nations to resettle the land. Uh, That's why at the start of our our chapter, those three places are mentioned, Zebulun, Naphtali uh, and Galilee. Those places bore the brunt of that conquest. They were the first places invaded uh, and occupied and destroyed. Um, I know many of you have parents or grandparents who were in Holland during World War II. You've probably heard the stories of what it was like to be in an occupied and oppressed nation. It's not a good thing. It's a terrible thing. And that sort of threat is hanging over Judah right now. It is a dark time for this nation. If you are an average citizen in Jerusalem or in the entire nation, you are nervous. You're worried. But now a good word has come. Now a word of promise. This situation won't last forever. Look at verses 2 and 3. 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. It seems a little weird. It's written in the past tense. Uh, that's a way that the prophets spoke often, uh, confirming how, how certain this was. You know, this is so certain we can speak of it as if it's already happened. And this is what Isaiah is saying is going to come. Hope, good hope. <laughs> There's going to come light. There's going to be growth and increase for the nation. It's going to be as if uh, the nation was at harvest, as if they were at plunder. There's going to be plenty. There are good times ahead. Joy and celebration. Something great is going to happen. <laughs> A complete reversal of their fortunes is on the way. But it's not going to come from them. I don't know if you noticed that as we read through these verses. It's not coming from them. These people have seen a great light. Uh, you have enlarged the nation, not them. They rejoice before you, not, not in themselves. See, what Isaiah is saying is all of this is coming from outside of the people. All of this is coming not from them. It's coming from God. God is going to bring this to them abruptly and wonderfully. Uh, it's like that... that when you're, you know, when you're staying at someone else's house, you know, you've spent, gone overnight at a friend's house or at a stranger's house, it's unfamiliar, it's different, and you wake up in the middle of the night and you need to turn on the light. <laughs> but you can't remember where the switch is. You can't remember where the furniture is even. And so you get up and you're bumping into things, you're staggering around, you're lost, you know, you're fumbling over all the walls, I know the switch is here somewhere. You're just lost. It's frustrating, you're hurting. And then all of a sudden, someone flicks the switch and you're dazzled and it's bright and you can see and you can do what you want. That's what God's promising for his people here. Saying, you don't have to stagger around trying to find the switch. I'm going to flick it on. I'm going to bring a light. You can't do it yourself. Judah are going to find this light. God is going to turn it on. He's going to shine the light of hope into the darkness of their despair. God is going to reverse their fortunes. And that is an amazing thing. See, the reason that the people were in such darkness, such despair, such hopelessness was because of their rebellion and their disobedience against God. See, God had called the nation together. He had given them a way to live which would be good for them, which would end well for them. But every time they have said over and over again, we don't want to go your way. We're going to make our own way. We're going against your word. We are rejecting you. And so God sent nations to them, including the people of Assyria. And he sent them to not only punish them for rebelling, but to discipline, to correct them, to draw them back. See, God is the reason behind this hardship. God is actually the author of the darkness, the difficulty that they're finding themselves in. Now still, despite all of that, the people had tried to fix their situation. They'd relied on many false hopes. In the years just before this passage was written, they'd made an alliance with Egypt, they'd sent tribute to Assyria, they'd sent envoys to Babylon. They had tried everything, every trick in the book. But none of them helped. And still this darkness, still this threat hung over them. You know, it's as if I sat down to play chess against Bobby Fisher. 
Bobby Fischer is the best chess player who has ever lived. Now, I can do my best. I can study for that match. I can practice. I can phone a friend. I can play dirty and try to distract him as much as I can. But it's going to be inevitable, isn't it? I don't even know the rules of chess. (laughs) I'm going to lose. (laughs) I have no hope of winning. And so God's people, in a sense, playing against God. There's no way they're going to escape on their own what he is rightfully bringing to them. Their their efforts are limited. Their God is infinite. There is no hope beside him. And so the only hope, therefore, is in him. And so we find in the very last verse of our passage, right at the end of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Uh, that word zeal, it's, it's, it's God's passionate care, his passionate love for his people despite their rejection, despite their rebellion, his, his earnestness for them and the reason that he is their hope. And so he is. Because this is God's message to these weary, sin-laden rebels. A day is coming where it will not be like this anymore. A day is coming where light will shine in your darkness, where there will be joy instead of oppression, where there will be plenty instead of want. A good day is coming. A hope. But Judah didn't really see that day. After Isaiah wrote this for roughly 500 years, there was more oppression, more hardship. God's plan was very clear. God had said what he was going to do, but his timeline was very long. And it's not until the New Testament that we actually find these very words quoted. Verses 1 and 2, quoted, and not only quoted, but fulfilled. Because there a light does come. And incredibly, it does shine in those exact places. In Zebulun, in Naphtali, in Galilee. How? What what light? Well, in Matthew 4 we read that Jesus goes there and he preaches, the kingdom is near. And in doing that, he is telling us something great. And in Matthew quoting those verses, he's telling us something wonderful. He's saying, hope is alive. Hope is here. This promise is being fulfilled. This, this everlasting hope, we're not waiting for it anymore. It's here, it's, it's, it's been announced, it's arrived. This possibility of true joy, of, of plenty, of clear light, it's today. But what's more, it's not limited to Judah, it's not limited to the Jews, it's for everyone. It's for Galilee of the nations. What Matthew's telling us is that hope has come. And that hope is for you, whatever the hopelessness you feel. Whether it's the burden of your sin and brokenness, whether it is the hurt of the fallen world that we live in, whether it is the despair of tragedy or trial that you you might even be facing right now. Through all of that, we live in a time of hope. Deep and rich and dependable hope, a hope that comes from God himself, Not just a hope to to get us through by the skin of our teeth, but a hope that comes with joy, rich and wonderful joy. 
And that's why Christmas, underneath all the fuss and busyness, that's why Christmas is so exciting. (laughs) That's why Christmas is so good. Because underneath that sentimentality is a real hope, a solid hope. Because Jesus has come and hope is here. An unshakable hope, a hope to live by and to endure in. But how? How is Christmas a hope and how is that hope ours? Well, Isaiah is very plain. It is all because a very special ruler has come. And this ruler has done something amazing. Verse 4, he has removed the burden of the oppressed. Verse 4, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, so that the nations won't oppress any longer, that that yoke, that bar that punishes won't rest on you anymore, it's gone. But not only that, he's going to bring lasting peace. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. See, not only is Jesus bringing an end to hostilities, he's actually destroying the capability for any more. See, not only are the weapons of war broken, but even the garments of war are burned. Who is this special ruler? Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. And forevermore. This, this special ruler is like no one ever seen before. He's going to be born as a human, as a, as a child, but at the same time, he's going to be given by God as a gift to humanity. And what's more, he is a king. And in this king, there is hope. I don't know if you remember when Barack Obama was uh, elected uh, as president, it's a few years now. Uh, But the very next day, the Sydney Morning Herald ran with the headline, Hope of the World, in enormous font, and beneath, of course, a picture of uh, Obama. A pretty bold claim. And look, he did a good job. Uh, It's arguable whether he lived up to that claim. But it's interesting, the next president, President Trump, very similar things were said by a different side of the media, very much so, But similar things were said. There was hope, wasn't there? He's going to drain the swamp. He's going to make America great again. Again, arguable how much he lived up to that hope. But that's the thing. We do it for all our leaders, don't we? To to some extent. Uh, When Turnbull was elected, those who elected him said, here's our hope, stability, economic growth. When when Scott Morrison came in, well, here's our hope, settled government, (laughs) peace maybe. But it never works out, does it? I mean, each leader, they have their honeymoon period. They, they, then they fail us. <laughs> then they let us down. That turns out our hope is misplaced. They disappoint us. And we become jaded. <laughs> How could a leader ever become a hope for us? But see, the King Isaiah is talking about is a king like no other ever seen. This king is different. And that's good. That's really good. Because the fortunes of the king, the nature of the king, turns out to be the fortunes and nature of the nation that they rule. 
So if you have a wise king, you have a well-led nation, if you have a, a strong king, you have a powerful nation and so forth. Well, what Isaiah is telling us, this is great for the nation because this is a king like no other. This is no ordinary king being foretold. Verse 6, he is going to bear the burden of the nation on his shoulders. He's going to be a wonderful counsellor, literally a, a heaven-wise ruler. This king is mighty God. He's not just a man, he's divine. He's the everlasting father. He's kind and gentle and firm and, and helpful, not just for a time but always. He is the prince of peace and the nation he brings is characterised by peace. But see, not only is he no ordinary king, then the kingdom he brings is no ordinary kingdom. Look how it's described in verse 7. This kingdom never stops growing. This kingdom will never know anything but peace. This kingdom is not going to be a kingdom of oppression. It's not going to be a police state. It's going to be filled with justice and righteousness. This kingdom's never going to end. It's never going to descend again back into darkness and despair. It's going to last forever. Well, who, who is this king? Who could it be? Well, only one person can fill that description, can't they? Jesus. Jesus is this king. Jesus is the king. He came as a child, born and yet a gift of God. He is wise with heaven's wisdom. He is God in flesh. He is eternal. He is peaceful. He is powerful. And the kingdom that he brought, the kingdom that he announced, is like nothing ever seen before. It is a kingdom that grows. It exploded from Judea all throughout the world, not by taking control of nations, but by spreading in them and through them, even to this building, even to Tasmania. This kingdom increases, not, not by violence, not by the sword, but it increases in peace and wherever it goes, it brings more peace. This kingdom came not by the conquest of the king, but by the king being conquered, by death and violence being done to him. And this kingdom was proved eternal because the king came back to life and received life forever. So here is our hope. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our good and peaceful king. We have a ruler. We are part of a kingdom, a kingdom of order and stability and peace and prosperity, a kingdom of eternity. All those good things that were lost in our rebellion against God are restored in Jesus and in his kingdom. Because the great news is his kingdom is for you. Because this king died to take the penalty for your rebellion. He didn't come and hand out punishment to all who deserved it. He came and took the punishment for all who had earned it. And because he did, citizenship in that kingdom is yours simply by trusting him. And with that citizenship, all the blessings that come along with it. That means that as a citizen, you can look and live in this world differently. You see, being part of Jesus' kingdom, it's not a ticket out of this world. Uh, you'll still face the hardships, the, the hurts that come along with living here. You'll still wrestle with the pains, but you get to do it differently. Because you can say to yourself, I have a hope. I have a king. Jesus is my king. I have a kingdom. 
And that kingdom lasts forever beyond the hurts of this world even. We're not pinning ourselves, our hope on our own strength or our own health. We're not, not pinning our hope on our financial stability nor even on the, the, the simple hope that things might change or get better. Our hope is King Jesus. Our hope is that we belong to his kingdom and that one day he will bring his kingdom to this earth and all its blessings, all its perfection will come here and be forever. So when this world stings, you will feel it's hurt, but it won't rock you to, that, to your core because your hope isn't here. Your hope isn't in what this world can take away. Your true hope, it can't be touched. Jesus is still your king regardless of what happens and you are always part of his kingdom. Nothing changes that. And the light and peace and joy that you can find in him now in part, you will one day know in full forever. So when you see nativity scenes, when you read about Christmas and see the decorations absolutely everywhere, look past the the sentimentalism, look past the fluff, the busyness and see what is truly going on here. See the hope that lies at the heart of everything that Christmas is about. See not just a helpless baby, see a child born, see a son given. See someone whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See that scene and and see a kingdom being born, a kingdom of whose increase there is no end, where, where justice and righteousness reign forever. See a kingdom that endures. See a kingdom to which you belong and are a citizen of. All because God does not abandon his people to their darkness or because his zealous love, his zealous care comes and gives us hope in Jesus, his son and our king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you for Jesus, our king and our firm and lasting hope. We thank you for his victory won over death on our behalf by which we are rescued from darkness, and sin and death. We thank you that we can be part of his kingdom, his kingdom of glory and peace forever. Father, help us remember that he is our hope. In the busyness of this time of year, in the hurts that we feel and will feel, Father, may our hope rest in him. And because it rests in him, may we continue secure and unshaken with all the joy that he brings. In his name we pray. Amen.